Thompson. On the show today, we chat to the fabulous Brandon Van Blurk from the innovative company Tether. Plus, Jamie James from Jamie James Financial and Insurance is back in the house. Welcome to Property Matters. And welcome to another episode of Property Matters, available every week live on Planet FM 104.6 FM in Auckland or downloadable from your favourite podcast place, whether that be Spotify, Apple, Samsung or iHeartRadio. You can email us at any time with your questions to get our experts to answer them for you at propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz. Now, I'm delighted to welcome a very special guest to the show, and I always love stalking them in the background before we get them on here. And this person I can see has got lots to talk about. It is the wonderful Brandon Van Blurk, CEO of Tether. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thanks, Stephen. I really appreciate it. And I've never been introduced like that. So I feel quite flattered. <laughs> no love, pressure. No I'd love pressure. To know what you've been stalking, stalking me about. Let's, let's... <laughs> oh, these days, nothing's safe, mate. Nothing's <laughs> safe. <laughs> so look, before we talk about um, Tether and, and the company that you're CEO for, can you take us back and talk a little bit about your own journey? I guess, mm. and it's in the space that's led up to this opportunity. Sure. Okay. Well, at at heart, I am a I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. So I'm I'm a South African immigrant, like a lot of uh, New Zealanders now, and uh, I've been in New Zealand for the last twelve years. I'm I'm still a youngster, thirty seven years of age, but I've owned quite a few businesses in my thirty seven years of of age. I uh, I am an, a, an engineer by qualification, so I'm a systems engineer working on IT equipment. But um, but my entrepreneurial journey actually started when I was nine, when I was um, wow. I was sent to a boarding school, a termly boarding school. Um, my mum says because she doesn't love me, but I don't believe her. So she sent me to this boarding school, and and uh, we we were in a, a bit of a pickle financially at that stage, and I didn't really get as much you know pocket money as the rest of my my friends did. Um, but rather than boohooing about it, I figured out that I could wash windows at garages um, to earn extra pocket money. So that was my first little foray into being able to, you know, understand that working um, allows you to generate some form of income. So that was great. Uh, and then uh, that sort of entrepreneurial journey progressed into owning a tuck shop when I was in high school and managed to buy my first car cash as a result of that. Uh, and then I, I owned a dance and movement studio, um, part managed dance and movement studio and conference center when I, when I was 22. Um, there's a big story around that, which I won't go into. Uh, and then eventually I decided to move to New Zealand at the age of 25. Um, and I moved here as a systems engineer working for a managed services company. Uh, but it wasn't long until that entrepreneurial itch kind of scratched me again. And I got involved in cryptocurrency back in the day this is in 2013 and some of your listeners may have different opinions about cryptocurrency but I was I was involved in Bitcoin and other types of cryptocurrencies and myself and one of my friends we we built the first payment gateway in New Zealand which allowed people to spend Bitcoin at point of sale um, machines and, and systems and that was my first sort of New Zealand business uh, called called Cryptex and that failed unfortunately, because no one was spending any Bitcoin, but people were, you know, our vendors were very excited to take it because the fees were low and the, you know, transactions were fast. 
Um, but once it failed, I, I didn't stop there. And I went, well, what else can we create? What can we do? I need to try and find a problem to solve. And um, it, it, through a number of different iterations, I ended up falling onto this opportunity within building performance, within understanding how healthy and efficient a, a home or a building actually is and the inability to do so, you know? So typically when you build a home or, or when you go into an office or a school, you take for granted that its performance needs to be managed, right? So whether that's indoor environmental quality, whether that's energy consumption, all of these things need to be managed. And we do it instinctively, especially in our homes, but they impact us on a daily basis. Uh, and the, our customers, the, the people that we were speaking to, their issues were that they were trying to manage these things better, but didn't have any of the data they needed to make informed decisions. And they needed technology to be able to enable these decisions. Uh, and that technology didn't exist. And so we started Tether at the end of 2017, um, actually in state housing, looking at monitoring indoor environmental quality and energy consumption in state houses um, for the purposes of, of understanding energy hardship and the impacts of indoor environmental quality on health and energy hardship. And, uh, you know, using sensors, indoor environmental quality sensors and energy monitoring sensors to get data on how a home was performing and then using that data, bench using it as a benchmark to measure improvements, whether that's behavioral improvements or grants of some sort or some form of retrofit or upgrade. So the journey has been a, been a long one, but ultimately I'm just a geek with an entrepreneurial spirit. That's a great answer. I'm still stuck on the bit that you owned a tuck shop. Yeah. What well, did you just I, say to the school? Don't worry, I'll take charge of this bit. Well, it was a very interesting opportunity, actually, because I was the sixth smartest school uh, kid in school, right, in, in the boarding school. And that has relevance because the top five smartest kids, they had a dormitory outside of the main boarding house. And the sixth smartest kid had a, we called it the coffin dorm, which and it was called a coffin dorm because it literally was a coffin. You could you could put your arms out and, and touch each side. But the uniqueness was it was your own dorm. You had no one sharing it with you. And you had a PowerPoint. Every other dorm just had a, had a light switch, no plugs. You couldn't plug anything into the walls. So I had a PowerPoint, which means I could plug a fridge in. And so I got, um, I got my mom to give me a fridge. And we put the fridge in and, and I got deliveries every single week with cool drinks and chocolates and chips and all of that. And I was running this tuck shop out of my dormitory, out of my dorm room. And of course, all the kids would blow through their pocket money in the first few days. We had movie nights on Friday where no kids would have any, any money or any tuck left because they would normally go home on Saturdays. So I would run a credit, credit system and, and allow them to buy all of their, their tuck on credit. <laughs> And then when they came back to the boarding school on Sunday nights, I'd get my my guys to go and do some debt collection. And so, and so ran this credit system on a tuck shop. I mean, I yeah, it was a I had a captive market. It was the perfect business. Captive market, right time, right place. Um, yeah, it was it was it was very lucrative, and uh, and no one ever had anything against it. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Did you get teachers buying from you as well? No, no. <laughs> I have no, heard no, that no. story before. I have heard that story. Very similar scenario. But, I, I, you know, I teach quite like the specific chocolate bar. So, yeah. you know, mum's the word. It was a great source. Yeah. Um, so talk us more about Tether now. And, you know, you talked about the fact that it's it's measuring some important 
sort of impacts on our world. Um, talk me through a little bit about that, because looking at uh, your site and things, there's quite a bit that it does. Yeah, well, look, the the premise is that buildings are like people in, in that they're all unique and they're all complex and there's no one size fits answer for all of them, right? So if you want to you want to lose weight or you've got an exercise thing that you want to do, you know, you will have a specific routine that's that's certified to your body or that's specific to your body um, and what you need. And in order to understand that, you need to understand who you are, who your body is. And it's the same thing with prop with property or with buildings. And this is what Tether tries to do is we try to understand the building that we're measuring so that we can assign the right solutions to fix the problem, right? There's only certain things that a building is meant to do, other than being aesthetically pleasing and giving you a return on investment, hopefully. You know, you wanted to keep you wanted to make it safe and and warm and dry and healthy and uh, efficient so it doesn't cost you too much money, it wants to be a nice place to live. And these are all indoor environmental quality and efficiency metrics that are that are measured, right? So the amount of power that you use is associated to cost, amount of water and gas that you use is associated to cost, but also efficiency and impact on the planet if you care about that. Your indoor environmental quality is directly associated to health and comfortability, that sort of thing. Um, and these things naturally happen without you doing anything, a bit like living without looking after yourself, without going to the gym or, or looking at your diet. So you can either choose to to look at your health and fitness and look after your body or not. It doesn't matter, you'll still live. The same thing with the building. You can either choose to just let it operate without any understanding of what's going on and it will still probably be there. Um, or you can have some insight into it and really improve how it, how it functions. So Tether's premise is about using hardware and software to give your building personality, as it were, to create this digital identity around your building. And then with sensors, do the monitoring. So, you know, like your Fitbit will monitor your steps or, you know, you'll use an app to tra track your calories. We have technology that'll look at the indoor environmental quality. It'll look at thermal comfort levels. So how comfortable are you in there? It'll look at if there's mold going to grow or if there's, uh, you know, an, an issue with condensation within the building. It'll look at ventilation rates. This is a big thing that's happened post-COVID, especially in schools and offices, where um, because COVID and other airborne virus trans uh, transmitted diseases are transmitted through the air, ventilation has become a hot topic of discussion, especially within building science. Um, and ventilation rates need to go up because we need to reduce the amount of airborne transmission, airborne viral transmission. So our system monitors for that using carbon dioxide as a proxy for ventilation. So we like the we like the Fitbit for your building. Think about mm. it like that way, right? You know, so the, the the monitoring system that can give you insight into how your building functions, and then also provide you with the benchmarks you need to do impact assessments on whatever you plan to change. So if you're going to spend $5,000 on a heat pump or insulation, surely you want to know what benefit that's done because yeah. you're doing it for a reason, right? I mean, there's obviously the legislation and we can talk about some of the stuff Ted has done to support healthy homes and other things if you're interested, but but there's the legislative part of it, but then there's also you having to spend money to upgrade and maintain and ensure that these buildings are, are efficient, warm, dry, and healthy. But how often do you actually measure whether what you're doing has the impact that you think it's it's doing i would say hardly ever i mean mm. you know it's, it's sort of our that's what our customers come to us for is they they're spending thousands of dollars in maintenance 
they don't know where this money is going or whether the impact it's actually having the impact that it's needed, which is, you know, better environments for their customers or better environments for their children or better environments for their staff members. Um, and, and we provide them with, with data, basically unequivocal data and evidence on, on building performance. Your team must be constantly evolving the software to meet mm. everything that, that's sort of being thrown our way at the moment. Oh, my, it's a constant. I mean, as a software development company, we, so Tether has no salespeople at the moment, right? We're, we're all engineers. This is probably one of the weaknesses of our businesses. We actually need to get some some salespeople in just to, to deal with the demand. But, uh, but we're a team of engineers building software and software takes a long time to develop, mm-hmm. especially as you start to bring, build in more features and functions into the software. Um, and and as you get data coming in, you start to learn about how to treat certain scenarios differently. You always want to be you want to be tweaking algorithms to make it more accurate. You want to make the insights that you gather um, content specific and contextual. You know, everyone I think has had an experience with an app or some piece of software where it just becomes noisy. It starts it shouts at you, and you know you get stuff or alerts that you don't really care about. And it just feels meaningless. And for us, it's really important that when we tell you that something is going wrong or there's an inefficiency or something's happening, it is it is specific. So we know where the room is, mm. what the problem might be, and how you can fix it. And then if you fixed it, how to measure the impact of the success of that fix. Those are important things to, to do. So to build that into software to your point, is an ongoing process. We will never stop. It'll just continue to get more and more and more advanced. You know, we're four and a half years down the track. We started off with building hardware um, because hardware is is hard, but it's actually easier to generate revenue out of hardware than it is out of software at the beginning because software takes time to build value. But from the hardware perspective, you can build hardware, which is done in Auckland. All of our sensors are our sensors built from the ground up by us um, on the North Shore in Auckland, which we're quite proud of. And uh, once we sell that, that hardware, then the software needs to work its magic. But that's where the real value comes is, you know, in, in 10 years time, if, if I had to project where do I see Tether hopefully being, uh, taking control, taking complete control of your, of your building in a way that's not um, taking control away from you, but assisting you in, in really helping you to ensure that you are running the most efficient building possible while maintaining the best levels of, of health indoor environmental quality and, and performance. Because you mentioned the impact, and I mean, I guess I'm seeing it, A, the impact on the people inside these buildings to create a, a healthier space to live and work in, B, the environment in itself, but C, also the financial impact. Um, mm-hmm. I can see that this would dramatically, I mean, just looking around your site alone with some of the demonstrations given, um, it would dramatically impact the amount of money you're spending in your building. Are, are they sort of the three in your head as well, or have I missed something? No, a- absolutely. So the, the three categories that we focus on are health, efficiency, and sustainability. Efficiency is where the money the money sits, and that's predominantly for our commercial customers and our industrial, industrial customers and institutional customers. Uh, that's where we add the most values getting insight into how can you save money by saving electricity especially with the price of power skyrocketing not just here but uh, abroad 
and um and a lot of pressure downward pressure coming from from a regulation perspective on reporting against climate climate change and and ESG is is I think the next the next big regulatory hurdle that businesses mainly big businesses at this stage need to need to uh, overcome and getting information from your buildings given that they make up for New Zealand about 20% of our of our emissions and globally about 40% of our emissions it's mm. really important that those building owners uh, and business owners have a handle on how those buildings are impacting the planet but also their bottom line you know the amount of money that's being wasted on on energy just wasted energy through vampire energy drawers or pieces of machinery that aren't behaving correctly and we've got devices that can do things like predictive maintenance so if they've you know got a bit of, got a big expensive HVAC system or fan system or something that's running through the building uh, we can tell whether that that machine is going to break down before it does by looking at fluctuations in current draw and that type of thing and that saves a lot of money right mm. um we've seen problems with with mold specifically in abandoned buildings during the covid period where there's been big commercial buildings that haven't been utilized or warehouses or storerooms that haven't been utilized during covid uh indoor environmental quality has changed uh created these conditions for mold growth they've come back after the of the lockdown and they've had to rip all the jib off the walls and do a whole bunch of treatment it's costing them thousands of dollars because they haven't actually looked at the, looked after the internal environments while people weren't there so these are these are problems that no one expected us to have but are obvious in hindsight but could have been avoided if you had the monitoring um in place just you know understanding exactly how that environment is running over time so you know we have we have two camps really we have the the health camp which is you know i have a, a responsibility for the health of the people that are inside of these environments those are typically schools state houses uh you know aged care facilities those types of environments and then there's the others which the health is important but also the efficiency and the cost becomes really important and that's typically typically your commercial buildings industrial buildings um you know where the, the the people are important but there's a lot of a lot of focus also on on reducing cost and impact of the planet amazing you mentioned before you were supporting sort of the healthy home side of things just talk me through that yeah so this was a bit of a, a micro pivot for us uh in the first of the first lockdown because being a sensor company and a company that focuses on buildings when everybody goes and lives in their houses for months on end doesn't really do good for the bottom line because <laughs> you can't <laughs> you can't install sensors in in buildings when when people aren't there. So uh, what we decided to do was to use some of the intelligence that we'd already built in into the platform to develop a tool to enable anybody with a mobile phone to generate a certificate of compliance or non-compliance against the healthy home standards. So the problem we saw was that the healthy home standards were incredibly difficult to get your head around, very complex. Um, you know, there there were some opportunists in the market that were coming in with healthy home inspection companies or healthy home tools of some sort. Uh, and and really, what it was is just robbery, spending you know hundreds and hundreds of dollars getting someone to come around um, to give you the same answer, the old nine kilowatt heat pump trick, which you know co co covers most of your bases. And uh, and I you know I got a little bit upset about that, and I said, well, look, this is just a this is just a maths problem. This is just an issue that can be solved with good user experience and a mobile phone. And so we 
we worked with uh, with property brokers at the at that stage and with their property management team to build an app that any property manager or anyone could go and you download the app, could go around their rental property, answer some questions, go through some some flow, and then outspits uh, exactly where the compliance sits or non-compliance sits and what you need to do to reach compliance if you're not compliant. And if you are compliant, a, a fully verified uh, compliance certificate with all evidence attached that is in alignment with, with the law. Um, we we bolstered the service by also integrating it into other types of applications that property managers would use, which would obviously make it more appealing for that market. But really, it's for anybody, you know, anybody, even a even a tenant. If a tenant wanted to check uh, that their rental property was compliant with the healthy home standards, they could download our app and and run through the report. There's nothing stopping them from doing that. And that that did quite well. So, you know, it it was a time, a moment in time. Um, as a lot of these things are, but it helped us through the COVID period to to survive and to provide some extra value. Um, and it was in alignment with our company's vision and value statement to you know to provide healthier um, and more efficient and sustainable buildings. So that's that's how uh, we call it the tether tick. That's that's kind of how it works. It's, um, uh, it's still being widely used. We've run thousands of applications through our platform now and, and it's predominantly being used by the property management industry brilliant look i could chat to you for hours brandon i feel like we've only just scratched the surface but have run out of time so it might be a reconnection in the new year to hear a bit more about sort of tether's future plans uh, if someone wants to get in touch with you or find out more about your products where can they head to uh, tether.co.nz is our website or brandon at tether.co.nz is my email address or oh, I'm very active on LinkedIn so you can you can see my profile on brandon-van-blurk on LinkedIn brilliant now final question do you have a fridge in your office and are your staff stopping by to buy stuff during the day <laughs> no but wouldn't that be funny I, sh I should I should yeah, look, I mean, uh, the tuck shop was lucrative, but not as lucrative, not as, lucrative as, as I'd needed to be to, to support me and my family, unfortunately. Yeah, it might, might be a sign if things are going wrong that the fridge comes out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, look, Brandon, a really exciting story, and um, I can see you're doing amazing stuff in this space, and just so perfect for a, for a New Zealand way, too, to be sort of ahead and leading this as well. So congratulations to you and your team on your success. We'll look forward to hearing where it heads next. And thanks for chatting with us today on Property Matters. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate the time. And now a big welcome. I'm so delighted to have the very wonderful Jamie James from Jamie James Financial and Insurance in the studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thanks, Great to have you here. And you are a real expert in the field and came highly recommended by many sources. So congratulations. You're doing something right out there. Thank you. <laughs> now, I'm curious today to sort of unpack um, the financial journey and then to help investors, but also the insurance that needs to go with that to keep our investors safe, I guess. Mm -hmm. So before we start, tell us a little bit about yourself and your own journey that led you to running a successful business with a financial and insurance focus. Sure. Well, um, as most journeys, we start off with a plan, but then sometimes things just don't go according to plan. So I worked three jobs through high school and I purchased my first home on my own at age 24 in Auckland. 
Um, but I didn't get any advice or guidance around that. So I went directly to the bank and the banks don't teach us how to structure our mortgage loan mm. to suit us. Um, a friend of mine said, look, now you've got a house, you should get, get some insurance and get some mortgage protection. So I did. Uh, but then a couple of years later, I thought, you know what? I don't need it. I'm young, <laughs> bulletproof. And, and it was just money that was going out. And honestly, I really didn't understand the insurance. Uh, roll forward a few years, the global financial crisis hit. I got made redundant along with heaps of other people and the property market bottomed out. I had no job, uh, no income coming in and the interest rates shot up. So it was around about 10% and I had the banks phoning me, leaving messages on my mobile phone to phone them back because I was defaulting on mortgage repayments. So I was probably about 28 years old and it was it was a really tough time. It was a really tough time. But what I learned through that is um, I almost lost my home and I was very fortunate at that point in time that my brother, who was trying to get on the property ladder but couldn't afford it himself, um, I reached out to him and said, hey, look, if you want to purchase 50% shares of this home because you you know it's been my blood, sweat and mm. tears and if I get booted off the property ladder, I don't know how long it's going to take for me to be able to get back on. So he purchased 50%. I... Um, um, obviously use that capital to reduce the mortgage and get the banks off my back. Um, so <laughs> I was very lucky, very, very lucky, but it, it, it could have turned out differently. But in saying that, there was so much learning that I went through that in terms of getting specialist advice in terms of lending, like structuring your mortgage loan to suit you and, and making sure that that works if external forces that we don't have control over happen to us, can mm. we still afford it? Um, it was really important, getting the right insurance and specialist advice and legal things around that. So I roll forward a few years. Um, I purchased that property for three seventy five, and we put a minor dwelling on the back of it. So it's now valued at about 1.4, 1.5 wow. mil. So it's a great ending to the story, but there's been a lot of tough times journeying through that, and that is why I love to help people bypass those rookie mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. And a very good brother, too, in the mix. Very good brother. <laughs> He's very happy with his, <laughs> yeah, his investment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good return. He did all the hard yards for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us about your company. When was it formed? And... I'm curious a little bit about your sort of your products and services that you offer, although we will unpack them a little bit later in the show. Okay. So I um, is well, the Christchurch earthquake, that's how I got into insurance. The Christchurch earthquakes happened. Um, so I started working for EQC and I didn't know anything about insurance. Oh, but that was absolutely <laughs> devastating because I was working on it. What a way to start. It, it yeah. was. It was. It was. It, it, I love to be able to fix things, and I was taking phone calls from people who had lost mm. everything. Now, I was getting frustrated with myself, thinking, why aren't these insurance companies paying out? I don't understand it. Why is it taking so long for these claims to go through? Why is it taking so long for um, people to go out and see see these people so that they could um, put these claims through? What I learned was is that I didn't even know what I was covered for. Yes, I got my house, right. I got house insurance, but of course we just chuck those policy documents in the bottom drawer. Yep. Yep. And so often we can have a perception that we're covered, but it's 
sometimes quite different to the reality. Mm. And usually people don't investigate what am I covered for until they actually need it. And sometimes it is way too late. So um, I couldn't fix anything there. And so I ended up um, transferring to a very well-known insurance um, provider here in New Zealand. Um, I worked frontline, so I was talking to people. I also worked with advisors. I was talking to claim specialists and underwriters, so I got a very good broad perspective on, on the whole insurance side of things. And common problems that I was coming across was that people were phoning to cancel their policies because they were frustrated that their premiums were increasing. They were worried that they hadn't heard from their insurance advisor since they put the policy in Mm. place and they didn't even understand what they were covered for so I got talking to people and helped them but I then had to transfer them to their advisor because I wasn't an actual advisor Um, and these people were saying why can't you help me understand what you're saying like can I stay with you so after about 13 months of that I thought actually I really want to help people Directly, and that's when I formed my company back in 2012, which has gone so fast. Um, and so, what I specialize in is personal and business insurance. When, if you think about insurance, think of it like like the medical industry. It's it's comprehensive and it's complex. And when we go to see our GP, usually our GP will um, refer us to a specialist. So I specialize in looking after people. So right. yes, we've got insurance to look after our houses, TVs and cars. But what really interests me and what I really love is looking after people. So if their health or their financial circumstances change, that's the support and advice that we can provide around that. It's very interesting that you were referred today by Tapri Hewitt, the mortgage advisor we had on the show yes. a few weeks ago, because you both have the same philosophy around looking at the person and working with the people rather than the policy on the paper. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Well, p- policy on a paper is is nothing until you actually understand a person's world. Because if you think about income protection, for example, there are hundreds of different types of income protections and they all work differently at claims time. So you need to understand who the person is, what their preferences and priorities are and match them with Mm. the right insurance because ultimately what my philosophy is, if somebody's going to invest in a policy, I want to make sure that they get maximum return on their investment. Mm. So we've got to put them in best outcome for claims and the only way to do that is to get into their world, understand what their priorities are and then match them with the right insurers. I was really drawn in your website and your marketing to your financial mapping, you called it, which isn't something you typically see on an insurance website. And you sort of touched on the why you do it. Can you tell us a little bit about what financial mapping is going to be? Yeah, absolutely. So again, insurance is nothing without understanding the person. So philosophy is, is that insurance should support somebody's financial plan. So let's get to understand what your plans are. So the financial mapping is, is we can give you a visual snapshot of your current financial position. We can explore ways that um, increase lifetime cash flow, that decrease um, your debt as well. We can look at KiwiSaver. Are you investing in KiwiSaver? What does that look like Mm. for you at around about age 65? Do you have a property portfolio? We can illustrate and model out buying properties, selling properties. What is the net LVR across your property portfolio? What is the yield return? What is 
if you are looking at taking on board debt to renovate one of these properties, how does that impact your debt servicing ability? What if you're looking at potentially selling a couple of rental properties? We can model out, do you want to redistribute those funds across the entire portfolio or just pay off a couple of different ones? Or do you want to buy another rental property? If it's a first-home buyer, we can actually financially map out um, what their current financial position is and how much can they afford um, as, as a first home and things like that. What I really love about it, I think what, what, what people really love about this is that they can make mistakes. Mm. Make mistakes <laughs> in the binary world rather than the real world. Yeah. So really, <laughs> really um, interesting. So of course, the interest rates. Yeah. So we've got a lot of um, people that are on the nice 2.29% interest rate. Well, we can model out what does it look like if this rate hits 4%? Can you still afford it? What if it hits 7%, which is still possible so then people can get an idea of like wow this is what's going to happen with our household income if this does happen and what what are plans that we can put in place to be able to mitigate any financial stress Mm. around that so how does financial mapping like like i get what you're doing sounds amazing but how does it link to your insurance side Good question. So then once we financially map out a client's world, um, I flush out different assets. So some people might have savings. They might have a revolving credit facility. They might be happy to sell a property. So don't pay for insurance that you don't mm. need. So we can plug in insurance that that meets the client's um, support needs and no more than that. So, for example, you might have um, a, a couple where one person is working. So putting income protection around them makes sense because that's going to make a financial impact to the family if they lost their income and they couldn't work and earn. But not necessarily the other person definitely doesn't need that. I've had clients that um, we actually cancelled their income and their diagnosis cover last week because they've come into an early inheritance. So they don't need the money and they're 37 years old. Right. So we've cancelled that, but they still want to keep some life cover in place for their young young son. So financial mapping takes out the guesswork. Mm. We don't guess, we calculate. Well, sadly, Jamie, that's all the time we have for today, but I'm looking forward to getting you back in 2023 with the wonderful Tapari for a very special episode coming up. So until then, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, phone 021-527-069 or jamie at jamiejames.com. Thanks, Jamie. I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Well, that brings us to the end of the 2022 series of Property Matters. Just a short one as we waited for Planet FM to move into their new home. I really appreciate everyone who has tuned in. Now, if you've missed an episode, you can download them at Spotify, Apple or Samsung Podcasts or iHeartRadio or check out our replays on Mondays at 4.15pm on Planet FM 104.6 in Auckland. We really appreciate all our guests who joined us this season. Your insights and input were so valuable. I think the common theme this season was to engage with professionals. When it comes to your investment and getting the most out of it, don't manage it on your own. Turn to the experts on your doorstep to guide you along the way. Now in 2023, we'll be back live in the new studio and we'll continue to release the shows as podcasts. If you'd like to join us on air, please email propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz. We would love to chat with you. Thanks to everyone who entered our competitions over the last month. Check them out at Property Matters Radio on Facebook to see if you are a winner. Make sure you like our page. We'll stay up to date over the next few months. 
Special thanks to Adam for editing, to Matt, to Lydia and the team from Barfoot and Thompson for all their work promoting and sponsoring us. Until we chat again, stay safe and happy investing.